the volume. This sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 18887897777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on the show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. Live Moods here on the sessions. I find it really hard to not just say your full name all the time. You've got such a name for like entertaining. You know what's so funny is that was actually just a username that I created in middle school when Instagram was first a thing. Uh, I was like, Live Moods, that kind of has a ring to it. Great. Wait, is Moods not your last name? No. <laughs> Wait, what's it's your last not. name? I didn't my, know my last name is actually Moody. Olivia Moody is okay. my full name. So okay. I just shortened it up. I was like, Live Moods is, you know, of course people would make jokes about my last name. Actually at the air at the airport yesterday, some guy was checking my license and he's like, are you moody today? And I was like, good one. Like, we're, we're not going to do this. I am moody because I'm at the airport. I don't want to talk about it. Um, but yeah, no, moody is actually my last name. So moods was just kind of a fun little, you know. Instagram it's cute. Thing. I like it. Yeah, Live it moods. works. It definitely does. It's really funny. I mean, my married last name is good. So yeah, I get I get hit with that all the time. Are you good? You feeling good? And I think it's the novelty is like we've been married for like five years, something like that, six years. I don't know, something like that. But 
the novelty of like saying, because I go by Paquette a lot of the times professionally. So people often call me that. People don't usually say good to me. So yeah, it does always kind of throw me off and it always makes me laugh. But I'm sure John's just like over it his whole <laughs> life. But it's good. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's fun. Definitely keeps it interesting. But no, I think now when people see me, they don't call me Olivia. They don't call me Olivia Moody. It's just, it's live moods. That's what, that's my stage name. But it's kind of now turned into like my real life name. It all blends into one. It does. It really does. (laughs) So what's going on with you? What's happening? We're like, we're in the football season. I mean, you are the queen of betting, as we know. As we know, we are the par ladies. So of course, it only made sense for you and I to pop on here and do an episode (laughs) of the sessions together. So if you guys have seen it or not, um, Liv and I have been doing um, a series for... I don't know, past couple weeks where Liv is teaching me how to bet because I don't know anything about that world. It's fascinating. There's money to be made there. And not only in like terms of like the betting world, of course, like, yeah, putting money down on a bet to turn that around and and, uh, have a gain on that. Great. But also just in the world of like, where like betting is headed. I mean, you look at like the Pat McAfee's of the world, you see um, Kay Adams. She's got her show uh, with FanDuel as well. Like you're in the right line of work. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was so interesting because I graduated from college in 2020, the thick of the pandemic when sports was obviously what I wanted to do, but sports weren't a thing. It was Rudy Gobert. He coughed on the mic and all of a sudden sports were shut down. And so I didn't know where I wanted, like how to get myself into the industry and how to work in sports. Originally, sports betting was not on my radar. And then I was presented with an opportunity that was essentially a startup company. So I wasn't making great money, lots of inconsistencies, as you know, when you join a startup company. Um, But I was like, what do I have to lose? I'm moving back in with my parents. The world is shut down. I mean, this is maybe my only opportunity to kind of get my feet wet in the sports space. And so I was like, hey, if you want me to work with you, great. I don't know sports betting at all, so I'm going to have a lot of work to do, but I'm happy to do it. And so I did. I jumped right into it. And this was a time where, you know, people were betting on like Russian table tennis. We were like, people like, were struggling to find. Right. But it was <laughs> yeah. like just when you think there's nothing going on in sports, it's like sports betting is still a thing. And we're betting on horse races and we're betting on you know, uh, Russian table tennis. I mean, just crazy things that people are putting their money on. And so I was like, all right, this may actually be a thing and we may actually be able to make this work. And so I jumped into it head first and, and learned everything I needed to know. And it was a lot of work, but eventually, you know, FanDuel's reaching out going, hey, we're looking at your videos. We like what we see. And then the volume calling coward. And then I've got, you know, guys calling me, Hey, we want to represent you and be your agent. And I'm like, what? I live in my parents' basement. I'm filming off of my iPhone. I just learned this, but I think the space was growing so quickly that they were like looking at these different people and creators that were, you know, actively trying to get seen in the pandemic. And it ended up being a blessing in disguise. All in all, the pandemic, as scary and traumatizing as it was, I think, for my job, it ended up being a really great thing because I don't know if I ever would have taken a chance on betting had it not been for the pandemic. Well, you're also like such a hustler and that's what I really like and admire about you. And I see so much of of like how I was at your age, that same world where you're like, how can I work? How can I do anything? Let's take whatever this opportunity is and let's make that into something. Like, honestly, that's really how I ended up in the world of pro wrestling where, you know, I was working for a sports network in Canada and they're like, can you host this show? Yep, no problem. 
And lo and behold, you know, I, I go to work for WWE for a long time now. I'm working for All Elite Wrestling. Like, I am so in the wrestling world, but that wasn't necessarily where I thought that I was going to end up. But that was the opportunity that was there. And sometimes you just say yes to something and it turns out wonderfully. I really have a hard time saying no to anything. Um, like, I am just kind of in the phase of my life where I'm young and I don't have children. I don't have a partner. I have nothing really like holding me back. Not that children and husbands hold you back, but (laughs) that's a whole other podcast. (laughs) Let me tell you. We'll save that for another day. But (laughs) the old ball and chain. Right. I don't really have any like commitments to anyone except for myself. Obviously, I'm a big family girl and I adore my family and would do anything for them. But right now it's just me, myself, and I, and I'm kind of in a selfish stage yes, of my life. As where you I'm, should be. Yeah, I'm doing what I want to do. And I, it's so funny because I was always the relationship type of person where I was like, I want to get married young. I want to have children young. And then I jumped into an industry and found a job that I really loved. And I was like, well, I don't really have any desire now to be in a relationship or to find somebody. So yeah, I don't really say no to anything. I'll pretty much try everything once if in this industry, especially because Again, had I not said yes to that random opportunity, I would not be where I'm at now. So yeah, the industry is growing. It's insane. I was even watching, um, unfortunately, I was watching the Broncos game last night. I won't talk about that for too long or I'll probably start (laughs) crying. Um, But I was watching the game and even like in between, like on a TV timeout, they were posting DraftKings and FanDuel odds on the screen. And I'm like, it is a part of the game now. Oh, like, my God. Is it ever? It's everywhere. So it is something where that's why I'm so glad we're doing the show that we're doing, because it is something that I think everyone eventually is going to have to know the jargon and understand what people are saying, because we're talking about it all the time. So it's been fun. And there's no ceiling to me with sports betting. I think it's going to be around for a very long time. No, I think it's such a great, like, sweet spot to be in because, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been working for a while now. I've been around this industry for quite some time. And I feel like as sports betting really started to, like, bubble up to the surface a little more and some opportunities would come up of, like, hey, do this, this, and this. And honestly, like, it was such a foreign language to me. So I certainly missed out on opportunities just thinking, like, I've got too much going on to, like, fully inundate myself with this language to figure out what everything is. So the fact that you have like fully submerged yourself in that world, learned it all, become like an authority on the subject, teaching my dumb ass about it is amazing. <laughs> You're going to turn into a professional better before you know it. I'm telling you right now, it is such, a, again, there, like I said, it's becoming it's really becoming a part of the sport. It's like you you go into a matchup knowing who's expected to win and by how much. And it kind of, I don't know, some people may argue it's not, it's not a great thing because it kind of does change how you watch sports, right? I mean, like I'll watch the Broncos win a game, but they didn't cover that damn spread. So I'm not happy. And my mom's like, Jesus, Olivia, the Broncos won. Like, get over it. Well, no, because they didn't make me money. So I'm not really happy. I'm not thrilled. I'm not happy. It is. It really does change how you watch sports. And I enjoy the layers, though. It's different, different ways to become invested. And I like that. I agree. I agree. Yeah, no, I love it. And I think that there's a lot of room for a lot of other people to join the space and to create content. I have so many people, even in college, that'll reach out to me. Hey, I love what you do. Um, Do you have any advice? I'm like, be willing to lose in front of a lot of people and take a lot of shit. And you know, you've got to have thick skin and you've got to be able to just shrug it off. I mean, I went one and three yesterday. 
I feel like I have a hangover today just because I'm like an emotional hangover. Yes. It's so, it's so hard, especially because everybody that bets is losing. You don't ever win a hundred percent of your bets. I just have to lose in public in front of the masses. And that's where it's like, Oh God, this is, this is kind of difficult, but (laughs) either way, uh, I love it. And it's, it's, it's an ever growing industry. I don't think it's slowing down anytime soon. So I just tell everybody, start learning about it, jump on board because it's not slowing down. So you might as well just join the fun. It's also funny the way that, like you said, it is such a part of the game. It's a part totally. of the sport. I mean, whether you're watching football, basketball, it's a huge thing in MMA as well. Like uh, there's so many different sports that you can, you know, Russian table tennis, whatever it is that's like your thing. It all exists and it's there. But I also think that like us as humans are at this, like we're so ADD that it's like, you don't, you don't just watch the game anymore. It's like, no, I need to know about this and this and this and this and all these other things that I need to check while I'm watching it. Like, that's just how our brains operate now for better or for worse. Um, so I think it's actually a great place for people to like spend some energy and pay attention to things in a different way. And money and time and emotions, all of it. It'll, it'll suck you dry some days, but man, it is a fun time for sure. Okay, so before this opportunity came up and before you stepped into the sports betting world, what did you see for yourself? I mean, you did get picked up for all this stuff so quickly out of college. So, yeah, I mean, it all happened. It seems, you know, kind of overnight. But prior to that, what did you think you were going to be doing? Very interestingly enough, I wanted to be a investigative reporter. I have a criminal justice minor, actually. Excuse us? I know. I'm a big like crime junkie. It's like insane because I have the most anxiety ever and I'm like so stressed at all times about think bad things happening, whatever. But I will sit and like eat popcorn while watching murder mysteries like it's my job. But I originally wanted to be a part of, yeah, the news industry kind of. So I did two separate internships with two different CBS affiliates, one in Colorado Springs, one in DFW in college. And I think that's the value. If I could give like any young people advice on internships, start them early because I thought that this was my path my whole life. And it wasn't until my second internship that I was like, this shit is depressing. Like this is what I would have to do every day of my life is talk about. I mean, if you turn on the news, you're just going to sit there and feel awful about your life and your day. It's, it's horrible. And so I did those internships and realized I cannot do this for a living. And so I had already been at TCU, you know, filming the news broadcast every single week. They had a news show and I was hosting on there. And TCU actually approached me and said, hey, we'd love to have you as our sports host for your senior year. And I was like, well, I'm a showgirl, so I'm dancing on the sidelines of all of these games. How am I supposed to also report? And they said, well, everything will be pre-recorded. We just think, you know, you've got a great you know, on camera presence, we think it'd be awesome. And so I, again, don't say no very often. So I said, you know what, why not? My plate was super full because showgirls, we dance football, basketball, and baseball. We dance on the top of the dugouts at baseball games. So it's all year round. We really don't ever slow down. And so I was like, how am I going to do this? I was very busy, but I immediately, once I got that opportunity was like, sports is my thing. It has to be my thing. It was just so fulfilling. It never felt like work. Even when I was like forgetting to eat because I was so busy in my day, it never felt like work. So I was like, this is what I need to be doing. So yeah, I went from crime junkie, news reporter, criminal justice person to, you know what, sports is a little less depressing. So we're going to, we're going to stick with that. But yes, it was a weird switch. Um, 
But ultimately, I, I, the sports thing, I couldn't resist. It's so fun. It's great. And you know what? Almost kind of like a similar thing too is like sometimes you don't even realize when it's like right under your nose like that. I mean, even like for me for wrestling, it's like I played a ton of sports growing up. I worked for a sports network. Um, and then I, and once like wrestling came into the mix, but I had like studied acting and I was doing like all of those like entertainery kind of things. So then to like mash those two things together, I'm like, of course I love this. Of course I do. Like, I know both of these worlds and can throw them together and totally love it. Well, it's so funny, too, because that's I agree with that in the sense that like when I was dancing on the sidelines of every game, some people would be like, why do you know so much about sports? It's like I'm sitting here watching every single game like it's little things like you're not supposed to cheer when we're on offense. You learn these things as a dancer because, you know, you don't want to be the ditzy, oh, they're just a bunch of cute girls that know nothing about what's going on. You know, we at, Gotta at read TCU the room. anyway, totally. Like, my coach was all about reading the room. You've got to know when it's appropriate to cheer and shake your palms and when it's not. Like, don't be doing hair flips when someone's injured on the field. You know, read the room. You learn these little things, and then eventually I'm like, I'm understanding this whole, you know, I've always been a sports watcher, uh, but I think honestly spending all that time I did it in high school and I did it in college on the sidelines we've got the best view in the house and you're watching you're forced to stay from start to finish and watch that game so I learned a lot surprisingly being a dancer and cheerleader for these teams that I think ultimately helped me with how I watch sports today you know so that's cool was dancing always a thing for you yes since I was four years old I've been a competitive dancer my whole life um and then I danced in high school on the Palms team there. So I was like a studio dancer. So I did jazz, ballet, tap, lyrical, all those things. If you watch So You Think You Can Dance, those were all the styles that I did. Suck it, Jenna Dewan. I'm just kidding. I love her. You've got nothing on me. All right. No, yeah. <laughs> She's actually phenomenal. And the, she's the amazing. Most, yeah. Incredible looking humans ever. She's stunning. Um, but yeah, so I did the dance team at my high school. And I actually didn't go to TCU to be a dancer. I think a lot of people do. You know, they like chase after the dance team. That was not it for me. Uh, they had a great communications school. So I was like, I'm going to go check it out. The campus was beautiful. And then I tried out and I was like, you know, maybe I'll do dancing for four more years. It wasn't competitive. It was just game day. Uh, so it was a perfect fit for me at the time. And I did it for four more years. But after that, I was done. I was like, I have been doing this for so long. My body is tired. I'm mentally tired. So there was nothing really post-college dance-wise that I wanted to do. Um, I was really ready to just dive into the working world, like, you know, jumping into that sports job. Did that like fuck you up at all to like not be dancing anymore as much as your body and your mind did need that break? I'm sure it's almost like that ghost limb experience of not doing that anymore that you kind of go through like a bit of like an emotional personal breakup. Absolutely. And I think what made it 10 times harder is that I cheered at my final, what I didn't know was my final basketball game at TCU as a showgirl. We had just beaten Baylor. It was an insane win. And then we all went on our spring break trips and got an email that we couldn't come back. So my dancing career really did abruptly end with no closure it felt like which I almost wonder like was this because of COVID yes so I almost wonder like was it for the best like I would have just kept like it would have almost been harder to be like this is my last this like I think almost having it be so abrupt was helpful in a way but it it really did hurt like it was it was something where you're like 
dancing has been my identity for 18 plus years. Like this is all I've ever known. And then it was just over like that. Again, I'm a psycho and I don't know what free time is or spare time. So I do also coach right now a little bit. Oh my Um, gosh. (laughs) When I have an extra hour or two in the evenings, I get all my filming done and their practice starts around four. So I have to make sure I get all my stuff done. And then four, I go and I help coach my my old high school's dance team. So that's been really fun. Um, They're a bunch of rock stars. So I still kind of have that... I can lean on that when I'm missing dance, if that makes sense. It keeps me connected to the world without having to like get in the splits and like hurt myself, if that makes sense. So I played ringette growing up, which is like hockey, but I played it, you know, up until like my 20s, but kind of similar to you. I was just so eager to work. I was like, okay, cool. I've done this thing, but now I'm on to this other thing. I want to work. I want to hustle. I want to, you know, get in front of the camera as much as I can. I want to audition, take classes, blah, 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 blah. And then my career, I just started working and I kept working and oh my God, thank God. And it's been amazing. But I, it's in like in the last like couple years, there's been like a part of me and now at 37 going, huh, I kind of miss that I used to do those things. Just not even that long ago, I was like, I'm just going to go play some pickup hockey because we're in Cincinnati now. They didn't really have too much of that in Las Vegas when we lived out there. But now in Cincinnati, I'm like, okay, there's maybe like a little bit of it. So I went to go do it. I played like this pickup game. My husband's like, okay, good luck. (laughs) Be careful. (laughs) I had a blast. Like I really did have a fun time. But it was like the two days. It's always the second day. It's the day after the day that like you're in so much pain. So I'm like hobbling around. My hip flexors are tight. My whole body feels beat up. And my husband goes, you're a 37-year-old mother. (laughs) Of course. He's like, don't do that again. Don't do that again. No, it's so, so I went to the TCU game this past weekend and I got a media pass. So I was able to be down on the field and I was making TikToks and filming fun content and I wore my showgirl boots. And it's so funny because I, all I did was stand for the whole football game. Now, mind you, standing does hurt and these boots are not super comfortable, but I used to dance in these things for four straight quarters of football. So I'm sitting there going like I'm aching. My back is starting to hurt. My hips are sore. My knees are sore. Just standing in these boots. And I look over and the girls that are on the team right now are like fully doing routines in them. And I'm like, how on earth did I manage to do that? But I don't even think it's like I'm still very young. I work out. I'm still active. But when you don't when you're not actively practicing your sport, like I I used to do it every day for hours. And so when I stopped doing that, my body's like this is foreign to you now. Like you're, you're, you're not in the same dance shape that you used to be in. So yeah, it was very interesting. Just standing in the boots, I was like about to die and they were over there just absolutely crushing it, dancing in them. So yeah. can be rough out there. You think you still got it. Then all of a sudden you throw on the boots. I lace up my skates and whew, I was sucking down air big time. I was like, Oh, can I make, (laughs) am I having a panic attack? What's it's happening? very different. It is. It is. And I also, I also like, I would like to think I'm in, you know, I work out and I stay in, but it's just different. Like that is a different type of in shape. It really is. And yeah, I don't know if I'd be able to hang with, with what I used to be able to do. <laughs> it would just take you a sec. You got like the, what we call like ring rust. You got like dance rust. You just got to like shake it off a little bit and you'd be fine. Yeah, I, I'm sure I'd be okay. I mean, I still film a TikTok or two every once in a while. So I've still got a little bit of a little bit of swag. <laughs> yeah. No, we've seen it. Listen, we've seen it. We know. We know what you've got. Okay. So you get out of college and then it seems 
so quickly you get picked up by the volume with Colin Cowherd. What? Uh, that's pretty crazy. Did that rock your world or what? Yes. I was like 23 years old and I'm again, like this, this guy keeps contacting me about representing me and being my agent. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Like I'm literally, I just graduated college. I live with my parents. I have no intention of like, like I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now, but like I had never thought that the next steps would happen so quickly. And they just did like everything kind of just fell into my lap at a very, very quick time, which is again, so incredible. Um, cause I am like a mover and a shaker. I'm trying to be on the next thing and do the next opportunity. That's just how I am. And so it worked out great that way. And I will never like, I don't ever want to downplay how hard I worked to get there, but I do think so many things aligned very well for me to make it happen. And so I'm very thankful for that. But yeah, I eventually said yes to this guy who wanted to represent me. And I was like, sure, I guess. I mean, I don't really know if I need you, but let's do it. And um, yeah, before I knew it, he's like, hey, so I'm. do you know who Colin Coward is? I'm like, yeah, duh. Uh, he's like, well, he's got a, you know this network and it's called The Volume and it's relatively new, but they've been watching your stuff and they love it. And so I was kind of in conversation going back and forth with them, trying to figure out if it was a good fit and did I want to do it. And then all of a sudden I'm driving my white Jetta down the road and my phone rings and it's a number I don't have saved in my phone and I answer it and it's none other than Colin Coward. And you just know that voice. You don't have to have <laughs> yeah, ID. totally. You know exactly who that is. And what really sold me about working with the volume was that he said, I am looking to hire people that are good enough to someday work for the ESPNs of the world, but don't want to be controlled by the ESPNs of the world, right? Like he was like, you have a lot of talent and I see a lot in you. He saw something in me I didn't even see in myself. Like I said, I was filming most of my videos. I was filming in my bathroom because the lighting looked good and it made my skin glow. And I'm like, <laughs> so here I am trying to start developing this like professionalism from my parents' basement. And we made it work. Don't worry. We hustled it. And one thing that stuck with me was that comment about, I want to hire people that are good enough to work on the the most respected level, but want to have the freedom to just be who they are essentially. And he said, we've watched your stuff for the past few months. We love what we've seen. And we don't want you to change at all. He's like, I do not want you to, if you want to film a TikTok dance, film a TikTok dance. He's like, so I just, I loved the way he embraced every layer of live moods. Like he had obviously watched my stuff. And another thing that very, very much stood out to me was when I had a meeting with, Colin wasn't on this meeting, but when I had a meeting with some of the members of the volume team, they had specifically brought up something that I had said in a show that I had filmed weeks ago. And it, made me feel really good that they were actually watching and paying attention and cared enough about bringing me into this group that they were like, you know, listening to what I had to say. It wasn't just a, oh, we saw your tweet and we hit like, like they were watching my shows. And so that to me felt important. And I'm a huge, like the people that I work with and the energy of the people I work with really matter to me. Cause I think that's how you're going to get the best out of me is if I feel comfortable with you guys. And I feel like I'm accepted and you trust me and I trust you. I just think that we're all going to get the best out of each other. And so it was immediately a yes for me. I mean, I met these people and you know, Logan and I, I met all these people and I was just like, you guys are great. Like this, this just to me feels like a really great next step. And 
so yeah, he, he was, he was very, Colin was just very much like, keep being you. That's it. We're just slapping the volume attached with your name, but you're not changing a thing. Like, obviously we want you to do shows and things like that, but don't change who you are and what you're about. And so that was massive for me. And that was kind of the moment I knew this is, this is the next step in my journey. And, and here we are now I'm hanging out with Renee. So I'm, I'm living my here best we life. are. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so cool to think about that though, because you know, I think so often people's careers kind of go a bit of a different route where it's like, okay, how do I get to the ESPNs? How do I get to the Foxes? How do I land in those roles? And those are great. And they're definitely places to like strive to be for sure. But when you work for such large companies like that, um, and I've been in a situation like that before as well, where like being you, then all of a sudden you're like, wait, am I not allowed to be me anymore? I'm like your box, start, you feel start getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And you're like, wait, wait, what? Am I not good at this thing? Or like my personality is now kind of shriveling away because I'm being told I can't do X, Y, and Z and being slapped on the wrist for things. So I think for you to be so mindful of that early on in your career, and of course the volume's so great and, and Colin's so great in that because like you said, it's like Colin understands talent. He understands where you come from. He understands what you want to do as well as opposed to just being like you know, the boss kind of overseeing everything, but he never tries to micromanage or change who you are or change opinions on things. And yeah, I think that you're at such an interesting point in your career where you probably could have gone one of two ways and for you to really stay true to yourself and not have to kind of succumb to the man, as they say, is, uh, it's really nice. I mean, lift moods is a lot. Let me tell you something. I got a lot of different things going on. I got a big personality. I just, it, so for me, that was something I valued a lot is that of course, like at some point in my life, I want to work for a TV network or be sideline reporting on national television. I know that with that comes a little bit more structure that I haven't had yet. And so of course, I know that those things are down the line for me. But for right now, I feel like, I'm able to grow and learn and mess up if I need to mess up. Oh my God, the, to be able to mess up is crucial. It's so important because you learn like your own voice, you learn who you are. Because a lot of times if you don't know that, all of a sudden now you're playing reporter on television, you're playing a person talking about sports. You need to know what your own voice, your own tone is. I mean, that's something I say to people all the time is like experience is experience. And the more you can just let it fly and do have some of those mistakes, that's the only way to truly learn. Well, and I think too, especially if I want to get more specific about betting, I learn the most when I lose. If I were just winning sure. all the time, I'm not I'm not learning anything about how I need to handicap something differently or the different numbers I need to look at for each team. Like I don't learn that kind of stuff until I'm losing or I'm down really bad and I'm like, "Okay, we got to figure out what is going on here and make some adjustments." It is really important and I even know some of some of the people that I know that are on that highest level talking sports betting, the pressure on them is insane to always be right and to always be accurate. It's like, it's gambling. You're never going to be always right or always accurate. So it's a lot of pressure naturally just to be a part of the industry, but then to be on the highest level and feel like you can never mess up. I'm not ready for that. And I, I am, I am, old, I am an old soul, but I'm not ready for that. I don't know that anyone's ready for that. You think you're ready for it. And then you're like, oh, this is not 
fun anymore. This stopped being fun for a second. Um, how do you sort of weather that storm? Cause so much of your job is being online and your post, whether it's on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, what, whatever it is, while adding sports betting into that mix, being a woman, how do you stay focused? How do you kind of cancel out the noise? All that bullshit. There is a wise woman in the industry named Joy Taylor who has been my saving grace in so many different ways. Um, she, When I first joined, it was so funny because she was just always, first of all, she's one of the most supportive women in the space, and I truly believe that. So when I first joined, obviously, she was working with Colin uh, on the herd, and so she kind of just took me under her wing a little bit, gave me some advice here and there. And one thing she said to me was, I love that you interact with everybody online and it just shows that you're so friendly and you're so outgoing. She goes, at some point, you're going to have to stop. And I was like, what? No, like I, I, I love everybody. And she goes, no, truly at some point you need to stop reading any of it. Like you will not be able to just like, just don't even pay attention to the replies, the comments, the DMs, none of it. And that is probably the best advice I could have ever like actually digested and listened to because if I don't read it, I don't know what you're saying. I have no idea that you hate me. I have no idea that you think I need a different job or that, you know, I'm awful at sports betting. I have no clue because I didn't see it. I don't even pay attention to it anymore. But I do think that there is a level of added pressure being a woman in this space. And I really honestly hate pulling the woman card because my inner self is a dude. I really am. I'm not emotional. I don't really care. Like I just, I don't let things bug me very much. So I, I'm a, I'm a guy's girl, if you will. I have plenty of girlfriends, but I've just always kind of hung with the dudes and that's just kind of been my, my energy. And so I don't like pulling the woman card, but I will say that I will see men in this space that are like, oh my God, I cannot tell you what it is, but something deep in my gut is telling me the Broncos are winning the Super Bowl. And that's enough for them. They can say that and people are like, oh yeah, yeah, let's do it. Like I'm blindly fading you. Let's go Broncos. If I come to the table with every trend, stat, number, statistic, anything you could think of, sometimes it's still not enough. It's just the, it's just the fact that I am a woman trying to discuss sports that sends people over the moon. They cannot stand it. It doesn't matter what I say or how I say it. It doesn't matter. Even when I'm hitting bets, they still have something to say. Oh, you got lucky. Oh, luck was on your side today. So I think that being a woman in sports is hard regardless. I think being a woman in gambling, now you're messing with people's money. And it just <laughs> it's ignites like a, whole a whole other layer. It is. It's a different monster. And people get so emotional while they're betting and they're losing money and they want to point their finger at you. And I'm sure like, you know, run, run you up and down a list, calling you a million different names like, oh, my God. And it's hard because, again, I get it. Nobody likes to lose money. And that's where my job gets a little tricky, because while I'm trying to remain as credible as I possibly can, because I know that someday five years from now, I want to be doing something where I'm going to have to be credible. You know, if I want to work for a TV network or be on people's television screens, I have to have the credibility aspect there. So while I'm really trying to value that right now, I think sometimes I put too much pressure on my credibility. So then people view me as like a professional handicapper. I am not. I am not. I am I am a person that loves betting, that works in a space that's creating content. And so 
that's where the line gets a little blurred because if I focus too much on funny, creative content, now I'm a degenerate. And now I don't know anything about betting and I'm just like being, you know, reckless with my money. Whereas if I focus too much on the credibility piece, now I'm a professional handicapper and my word is the end all be all. So when I lose people money, I'm like the worst person in the world. So it can be difficult to kind of find that middle ground of I want to have fun. I want to create content, but I also want to prove to people that I know what I'm talking about and I take this seriously. I'm not just like, oh my God, I woke up this morning and I saw a Raiders bumper sticker, hammer the Raiders tonight. Like I take this very seriously. I spend time making sure that I like the bets before I share them with the world. So it's hard. It's a hard middle ground because I don't want to be too serious, but I also don't want to be too fun. Ramin, I am so excited to have you here on the sessions. I, I feel like I always like open a show saying that and it's like uh, a thing that you just kind of like say to do the show. No offense to my past guests. I love them all. But legit, I am like so pumped to do this interview. You've done everything. Holy moly. What a life you've lived. Uh, well, it's, it's great to hear it back, but sometimes you still take it not for granted, but I still feel green as ever, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Um, okay, so we're still in the month of October, and for the month of October, we've been doing like sort of like scary sessions interviews. Um, so we won't fully go down that rabbit hole, but I do feel like just like the ambiance of the setting where you are right now, it's like a foggy, moody day. You spend a lot of time in theaters, of course. Theaters are notoriously very haunted. Do you have any kind of scary stories or like haunted stories? Well, not really, because I try and keep myself away from being caught up by a ghost, you know, because I'm a bit of a pussycat when it comes to stuff like that, especially like quiet theaters or if I'm leaving late. Oh, no, no, no. I don't like it at all. I remember I was on tour with Pirates of Penzance and we were in uh, Glasgow in Scotland. There was a piano room on the very top floor. And I remember I went up there, started playing it. And I was like, where is everyone? Why is it so quiet? I just felt like this cool, I don't know if I was just, you know, because there was ghost stories. You felt this chill, but I don't know if I was just making up my head, but I must have broke world records getting back to my dressing room. (laughs) (laughs) Theaters can be so creepy. So John and I just did a ghost tour of Cincinnati and we ended in one of the old theaters that they're now revamping. They're putting like millions of dollars in to like really redo it. But it was just so creepy. We're like down in the basement where the dressing rooms were. Then we're like up in the mezzanine and we had the little like energy meter tracker things. It was like going nuts the whole time. Um, So yeah, theaters can be creepy, creepy places. A lot of history there. My 18-year-old is over from England for a month. So on the 30th, I'm going to take him to one of these haunted house, in like live action haunted house things. Those are great. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> well, there's like the ones that you have to like sign a waiver for sometimes too, where they like grab you. No. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> not for you. <laughs> Where's the safe? What's the safe word? I'm out. I know, right? Pomplamoose. I don't want to play this game at all. Okay, well, listen, well, we don't have to get into to too many scary stories. I just thought maybe with your time in theaters that like maybe you'd like look through a mirror while you're getting ready and there's like a child behind you or some kind of Renee, horrifying that situation. Ever, <laughs> that ever happened. That's it. I'm done. Show's <laughs> over. 
The show's over. I have retired. And I mean, damn, you played the Phantom of the Opera. So like you were the ghost. I was the ghost. That's right. You were the ghost. <laughs> um, okay. Of course, I was very excited um, finding out that you were Canadian. I love my Canadian people. What are like the big differences of like growing up in Canada to like where your life is now, especially like in like the theater world? When I grew up, this was before social media and all these noisy distractions so we actually I always say I always had a childhood and I'm a country boy at heart I know I got the city behind me and I'm very grateful for what the city offers me but I just want to live on a farm I want to live quiet life away from all this and it's such a you need this to have the other but I don't have time to have the other because I'm always doing this um so <laughs> I loved growing up in Peterborough Ontario you know it was that sort of town where my buddy's backyard they would rink it every every uh oh. The best. I was always so jealous of those kids that had those. And had floodlights like his dad, Mr. Webb, would just go all out. He had the blue lines, the red lines. The OHL donated actual nets. And that was... Thank you, the Peets. Peterborough Peets. I would lace up at home and take the back pass. I was in skates the whole way. Whoa, that's great. That's so cool. Peterborough is really beautiful. I grew up in Ajax, so about like 45 minutes west of there. I'd move back in a heartbeat, given the chance. It's funny. I find like as like we get older, too, and can kind of reflect on the childhoods that we did get to have growing up in Canada and growing up like outside the city. I definitely look at it with, um, you know, rose colored glasses at this point. I feel I'm like, oh, my gosh, we really had it good again before all the social media, before all these other things that were happening. It was nice to just like be those kids that could skate in the backyard and enjoy actually doing things. Never had to worry about locking your doors. Never. I still, I'm still really bad for that. Yeah, I don't lock this door over here, but high up. Who's going to, I'm like, if you get this high, well, you can have what you want. <laughs> yeah, if you made it up this far, bring it. We can do it. Um, okay, so you were actually born in Iran. Um, you're, you know, obviously you're very proud um, Iranian man. Um, what was it like when you guys fled Iran? Do you have any memories of that? No, because I was literally just born. I was months old when we fled to Italy. But, you know, I only have to turn on the TV now to see what's happening. And history is just cyclical. And unfortunately, it is. And hopefully, this will lead to better changes to Iran that people have a freedom of choice. It's not necessarily changing religion. It's just having that freedom of choice that we all take for granted over here. So, you know, it's still part of my culture. It's still part of my DNA, even though, like... I'm not necessarily a religious man or anything like that, but just etiquette, certain customs that I find that are still innately in me. And I'm very proud being Iranian, just as much as I'm proud having a Canadian passport and British residency and now an American Greek card. You get the best of all the worlds. You get a little flavor of everything. Yeah, there's, it's equally charming and equally confusing. <laughs> especially when you're traveling, you're like, which passport do I use right now? You feel like a James Bond. Yeah, but it's also especially at this age where identity, I, I think we're all trying to seek out who we are more than ever because of said social media and all this noise and fast-paced life we're living. And I'm like, what am I? So I'm going through that at this age, you know, so it, you try and figure all that because you work so hard and you travel so much and you just think, what's it all about? What's it all for? You know, what have you landed on while you're thinking about that now? I just right now I haven't landed on anything apart from I'll do what I need to do to make sure my my boys have a good future. You know, also teach them to follow your passions. And that's where like 
ironically, this wrestling thing has been pretty amazing. And it's not just another job or something that's interesting. It's like working with Afa and Bull James and working with Matt and wrestlers, just where they've come from and their stories and how earthy and grounded they are because of what wrestling requires as humans. And also, you know, Vicious Vicky and Tina working with them and Mickey James, hearing her story, especially her recent post she did and like what that costs you as a person and what you contributed for people. And as an artist, it's very similar. There are such parallels between what you do, between being in the theater. I mean, I think, I mean, so many jobs require so many different things from you, but I think as a performer as well, and especially with theater, I mean, with you guys doing what, eight shows a week, and then you look at a wrestling schedule and, you know, whether you're training, whether you're putting on a show, there's just such a grind and it really requires a certain kind of person to fall into that life and to, to seek that life out. So I think, you know, for you to be able to draw the parallels between the two of those and now bring those worlds together with doing the last match, like what an amazing opportunity. When I started hearing about this, I was like, hold on. Like I was just so fascinated that you guys were doing this. I've also been like incredibly uh, fascinated by with what Matt Cardona has done since departing from WWE to doing death matches, to doing theater shows with you. I mean, this guy is like, I feel like he's really taking this like new lease on life to just do whatever he wants and like test your body, test your skills, test the things that you can do. So I think what you guys are doing is just so amazing. Kudos. Thank you. And that's great that you see that about him because we all saw that because it's two worlds coming together. But it all comes down to storytelling. That's what's so amazing about this last match. And you have, there's still a lot of naysayers going pro wrestling. Even some of my team are like, what are you doing that for? I'm like, you have to come see it to experience it. Because what I experienced that night, I've never experienced before. And the demographic, <laughs> the demographic of friends who came from my world, the theater world, not one had a bad word to say. To the point where I was like, you actually enjoyed that? I was shocked. And <laughs> Well, it is funny when you look at the two opposite ends of it, where theater just feels so prestigious and there's such, um, you know, there's such a respect around what happens in the theater where I think with pro wrestling, it's, you know, a lot of people can really look down their nose at it. But I think for somebody like you who has been in those situations, your body has been through what it means to perform at the level that you do. And I think for you to see the work that pro wrestlers do, I think that definitely gives everybody a nice little pat on the back. But it's all theater and it's all storytelling. And of course, there's physical ramifications. And I have a lot of supporters like, you're going to get hurt. And I'm like, ironically, playing the Phantom has given me the biggest injury of my life. My discs in my neck are ruined because of that role. So I'm like, that's not safe. I'm not going to live my life trying not to die. I'm going to live my life to live. And, you know, I don't see this as a risk because actually taking these bumps, although I remember when he, on day one. when Yeah, what was day one? What was the day one bump like? Holy jeez. The bumps weren't so bad because <laughs> Alpha and Bull are such great coaches that they knew I was trying to run before I could walk. Like, dude, calm it down. You got to take it one step at a time. But our producer, Jeremiah, the co-creator of this, He's like, all I want is make sure you take your first chop on the first day. So I'm talking to Offer. He sent me up and he's like, so I'm like, what's the baby steps to take a chop? He's like, there is none. You just take a chop. I'm like, we're taking it. Where are you going to hit me? <laughs> just take me there. I was like, okay, Renee, when this shovel of a hand <laughs> hit my chest, I remember thinking, it's not fake. It's not fake. I thought this was fake. 
my toes curled. <laughs> I felt like my whole body stiffened. I was like, this is ridiculous. And even in the match with Cardona, I had to take three and I had to no sell the third one. But by that point, I'm like, oh, dear God, I don't think I can no sell this one. <laughs> He's broke skin. But there's something, I don't know, there's something about like the physical truth that you're putting into the storytelling because I'm still playing a character. It was cathartic. And also this character and what he's going through. And there's some parallels, you know, like as artists, what you sacrifice, you know, the damage it has on marriages, the damage it has on, you know, your father-son relationship or your, with your children because of distance and work. Without time together, things don't grow. Yeah. So and, you know, I think, you know, I feel like the the smarter we all kind of get and the more we can figure things like that out. Because, I mean, you, you know, you mentioned things being cyclical, but it's like, you know, we've been able to learn from the people before us in the wrestling world as performers, the people that have been on the road and trying to like strike that balance, which is not an easy thing to do. I mean, John and I are so lucky that we're both in this world and we get to travel together. We get to do all of our stuff together. But I have always felt so much for like the the wives or husbands that don't get to be on the road and don't get to experience what that's like. Because, yeah, I mean, it's definitely not easy. It's It's a huge sacrifice. And like you said, it's like your body just goes through the ringer. Um, so you come home and it's not like you're ready to get on the ground and like play with kids and like do all of those things because your your body's kind of reeling from what the past week has been like. Um, but anyways, okay, so the last match, how did this all come together for you guys to really execute this? What was like the first steps of that? Well, that's something Jeremiah, his co-producer Rachel and the composers have all been working on for ages. And so Jeremiah's standby Nick Arnstein in Funny Girl, which I'm currently in yeah, and playing Nick Arnstein. <laughs> I've known Jeremiah for 20 years. Hardly had time together, but we would just see each other through the business around the world. Like, hey, Jeremiah. So Jeremiah's like the salt of the earth, one of the nicest guys. So we're hanging out in my dressing room before one show, and he's telling me about this project, this pro wrestling music. I'm like, what? I'm a, I used to be a big pro wrestling fan. i sort of fallen off the rails but now i'm really back into it since triple h has taken over and good to see bray wyatt back i'm like whoa that guy yes i know so good to see him back it's great so he was talking about doing a concept recording i'm like well if me being part of it helps i'm a mate you know i'll help mates do whatever i'll sing a song if you want he goes would you do that i was like sure then he talked about doing this workshop i was like okay so we'll do a little read through he goes yeah maybe we'll get a ring in and maybe we'll try some things i was like all right yeah sounds like fun <laughs> Okay. And it's slowly somehow, oh, Matt Cordon is going to come. He's going to play uh, Swagger. You guys are going to have a fight. I'm like, am I? So wait, how did Matt get looped in on this? Like, how did this come? Like, how did he become aware of what you guys were doing so that he could kind of throw his name in the hat? That'd be down to Jeremiah and reaching out. Because um, he's got, he's connected with a lot of regional wrestling organization. I think ISPW in Jersey, Tommy from that who runs like a, I think he has like a collectible shop. They connected and then Tommy helps, who's now also co-producer and helped connect him with some of the like Brutus Barber, Beefcake, Demolition, folks like that who are now on board, Mickey James, to give credibility to this because we want to honor the wrestling world, right? As much as we want them to do the theater world, right? So I think that's how Cardona came about and they just sent him the script and when he was reading and I think his partner Chelsea was reading it with him. He's like, you got to do this. And as you say, Matt's one of those guys who kind of is writing his own destiny now. He's his boss and he's trying something new. And what's great about this is now experiencing what I experienced and now I know what he's experienced. 
the more naysayers we get, I know it's the right thing to do because people will naysay this or poo-poo it or talk shit about it. It's only because they don't understand it and haven't experienced it. But this is theater. And it's my, one of my favorite compliments or comments I was getting a lot after the first outing of the last match, you'd have theater folks going, well, I guess I'm a wrestling fan now. And you have <laughs> re- wrestling fans going, I guess I'm a theater fan now. Yeah. But uh, the common denominator, like you both love the same thing. Just because one is maybe linked to more of a blue collar thing, but art is for everyone. Storytelling is for everyone. I don't care what you do in your life. When you come to theater, we're all one. Just because there's a ring in there and we're throwing our bodies about, well, it's a dance. It's what we do, you know? It's no or more or less dangerous than what we do, what dancers put their bodies through every night. You know, you twist an ankle, you're done, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is really interesting just seeing the the correlation between wrestling and theater. And I always do love when someone thinks that they're not a fan of wrestling, yet they are a fan of some of these other things. You're like, if you come to this, I'm telling you, you're all you're going to love this. It's big characters. Yeah. The storytelling's great. The physicality of it. Um, I just I always find it so fascinating. And I feel like my my respect for what all these athletes do just like continues to grow. The more time I get to spend with people and the more you see like curveballs thrown at people and they just have to figure it out out there. Um, Who was the biggest surprise to you of somebody that that jumped over uh, to the other side that decided they were a wrestling fan? It would be most of my cast from Funny Girl that came. How do we get Leah Michelle out to a show? Can we do that? Uh, you know, I'm working on it. I'm going to be here today. I'm like, Leah, come on. You're going to love it. Like, that's yes. it's, it's folks like that. But you know what? She's been so supportive. She's like, how was the wrestling thing? She goes, this sounds amazing. Like, so she hasn't been one of the naysayers. I'm like, we got to get you out to this. Okay, so this all happened, and it's great. However, you did say before we started recording, are we getting another round of this? Just announced literally before we got on air, on air, on this podcast, um, November 14th, we're going to run it back and I'm, I'm going to have some more moves and uh, let's see if me and Matt can start calling the match and see what happens in the end. But Call it out there, baby. I'm ready because I'm going to start. <laughs> I was going to start training with Bull. Bull's the best, by the way. Love that guy. Because Bull and Offa are still going to be our coaches, but I got to get to the Poconos to see Offa. But I think this Thursday in Queens, we're going to start training up because I also, before they announced another round of... And it's going to be two shows on November 14th back in Jersey City. I said to Matt, I said, well, you came to our world. Come February, if there's an organization will have us, I'm going to try and I want to come to your world. Yes, it is only fair. I was just going to ask you, I mean, you've, you've laced up the boots, but now let's step into this other arena, step into that wrestling world. And let's really, I mean, you're shredded, you're jacked. You've got like the bod, you're ready to go do it. I feel like you have the, you obviously have the physical wherewithal to pull this off. I don't know. At 44, I kept thinking maybe it's too late to start. And my co-star, Amber, she's younger and she's flying off the ropes. I'm like, WWE will snap her up in a second. <laughs> but they were so supportive. And again, Bull and Offer were like, no, you, you got the athleticism. You can still give a good run at this. So I'm like, well, then let's give it a proper go. Let me go to his world. We'll properly train because I don't want to take this for granted. What's crazy now is when I watch SmackDown or Raw or especially uh, Extreme Rules the other week, knowing what I know, it might be scripted, but it's real bumps and it hurts. So now when I watch things, I'm like, I'm watching it even more like, oh my God, I know what just happened there. I don't know how they do it. Matt Riddle going off the top. It's scary. There's so many times when I watch my husband wrestle that I'm like cringing. Even like you said, like taking a chop. Sometimes you're out there in that arena 
And you hear that connection, even though it is super common. We hear it. We see it all the time. It still makes me like tense a little bit where I'm like, oh my God. Have you seen Shane and Gunther go at it? I'm like, that is not fake. That, <laughs> that's for us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know it's crazy. Well, I cannot wait to see you step into a like real wrestling ring with a real wrestling crowd. I know you guys would have had a great combination of theater folk and wrestling folk at uh, the last match. But I think when you go to like the full wrestling crowd, just well, to the see, chant, like, <laughs> the I get the chance going. Yes. I remember the second show, <laughs> the one who's playing like the boss, <laughs> he was doing the scene with Matt. And what was great about the audience, they knew when to be pantomime and then when to listen. Like, I thought my duet with Amber, which is like a seven-minute duet, I thought all people would check out at that point. Or the wrestling fans would be like, come on, where's the action? You could hear a pin drop. They came for the ride. So the respect was amazing. Oh, that's so cool. But then there was times where I'd be like, you suck. And then I love how <laughs> Matt plays the villain because he plays like the chicken shit so villain. So good. Yeah. So good. He doesn't threaten him. He's more <laughs> put off that. I don't suck. I don't suck. <laughs> But then when the boss left, the crowd turned on him. And all he hears, you suck too. You suck too. And to rattle him a bit. I'm like, no, this is a rite of passage. That means they. It is a rite of passage. It's true. No, it's totally true. That's so fun. Okay. So November 14th, two shows, Jersey City. It's officially announced. It's out there. So people better snap up their tickets right away to get eyes on that. Spend the whole day there. We'll have a blast. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So great. So you're doing Funny Girl. Congratulations. Oh my gosh. I, w I was just in New York not that long ago. And I was like, I need to go see Funny Girl. And there was two tickets left. But by the time we landed and like got to where we were going, I was like, okay, it's not going to, my, my dreams quickly uh, faded. I thought that I was going to be able to make it and I couldn't, but I love that this show exists. Um, your guys cast is just incredible. So great. How did it feel to be a part of something that just had so much like drama swirling around it for a while? That must have been really stressful on the cast. Yeah. And also out of all the things I've read and seen, I don't tend to try and get involved with these things, especially online stuff. I'm like, no one knows. I was there in the middle of it. But, you know, it's one of those things and it's it is what it is. It's part of the business side of things. And cast changed. Leads come and go, and it is what it is. I think a lot of it could have didn't need to be said, and yeah, I don't know. I know. It's just one of those things. And <laughs> you probably can't talk too much about it anyways. Well, because it's it's been and done now, and everyone's on to bigger, better things, and I loved everyone involved, and it's just one of those things, and here we are. Yeah, here we are. I mean, yeah, I'm a fan of, of both women, very much so. Um, and being able to, I, I just saw like some clips of Leah Michelle making her debut and like her voice, It what is it like just being right next to that voice throughout the show? Because like, good Lord. Like anyone, I always think you're tour fit or you're, you know, when I toured the band, the first couple of shows, it takes so much out of you. Then you get this like second win, you get leathered, you get, she's now show fit. And there was a switch, I think by week two, maybe by the third week, she started doing these things with her voice. I was like, oh my Lord, listen to that. And then to duet every night with her, it's like, when we do Who Are You Now? There's a couple of points in the show where she hit some notes and I just can't even hide the reaction. And it is what it is. And I'll never tell her which ones. Sometimes a compliment is worse than a, a, a critique. That's funny. I feel like no one ever says that, but you're absolutely right. It can be. Yeah. 
once you compliment a specific moment, that moment's gone. Because then you build mm-hmm. up to it. She did. She gave me this compliment about a comedy timing. I went to do it the next time. I was just thinking about it. Like, Fine. you ruined it. <laughs> she stepped on it. Yeah, you can't. You oh, Yeah, you're right. You can't point those things out because then you just can't recreate. Now you're thinking about it. You're trying to, like, execute it the exact same way. And it's impossible if you're not feeling it that same way. You just can't. Yeah, that's that's rough. Um, okay, when did you fall in love with theater? And like, I'm always fascinated by how people like really fall in line of the work that they do of like, just having like a spark go off of like, oh, I like this to then actually getting down to brass tacks and putting in the work to do this and be a, a Tony nominated performer to work on Les Mis to work in Phantom of the Opera to work on Funny Girl, like all of these amazing things you've done. What was that first spark for you? Phantom of the Opera. When I went on a school trip, growing up in Peterborough, Ontario, going to Toronto, I was like, oh, we're going to the city. Yes. Wait, what theater was that at? Pantages. Pantages Theater. Yes, it was. That was one of the only theater productions I ever saw in Toronto was that when I was a kid, and it was amazing. And they did the whole theater up for it. So you walk in, you're already you're in that world, you know? They did a really great job with that. And I didn't want to go, but it was... Who wants to see an opera? I was playing hockey. It was, you know, mm-hmm. one of the enforcers on the team. It was a tough guy. I don't need to go to see this, but it's a day off school. Sign me up. Then you heard Colin Wilkinson's voice, who was a fan. I was like, this voice was different. Because at this point, I'm into like Tragically Hip, uh, Tracy Chapman, Johnny Cash, Bill Cocker, these different kind of voices. I wasn't really ever into that pop world. Or it was like Public Enemy and that's that era of rap. But this was so unique. And suddenly I'm so drawn into the story, the underdog of the Phantom story. And um, by the end, I got this lump in my throat. I'm like, oh my God, I, don't wanna, I can't cry in front of these guys. <laughs> it stuck with me and I wanted to do that. And I, I remember with my hockey mates and one of my buddies, Scott McGilvery, who I, was my best buddy in high school, would always rib me about loving Phantom so much. And I was like, I'm going to become a Phantom. I'm going to become a Phantom. And I wanted to be a young Phantom. I don't know why I had that in my head. So at 26, when I got the first contract in London to be Phantom, I was like, oh man. Is that really rare? Because normally that's played by an older actor? Yeah, especially at least in London and whatnot. And at that time, because I was playing Chris and Miss Sagan, and it was the same producer, Sir Cameron McIntosh. And a week before I finished playing Chris, and at that point I was 25, and he comes to my room just like, what a great run. And we're mates at this point. Friend is friend, but he's still the boss. So I'm like, I have like a five-minute rule. Like after five minutes, we don't need to talk anymore. (laughs) Because it'll slip up. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to overstep the boundary and say something. You're like, okay, never mind. We got our moment and I'll leave it at that. So then he's like, what do you want to do next? I said, and it's almost like when he asked me, he had this smile because as, as if he knew. And I went, I want to play the Phantom. And he goes, aren't you young? I said, yeah, but I have an idea of what I want to do with him. And he laughed and he left. Two days later, I get this envelope under the door. It's the material. See you in a week. So then I had to go work on it with them and show them what I wanted to do with it. Holy shit. Wow. What was your reaction to like get this envelope under your door and open it and realize what it was? I still get chills thinking about it because this was the dream. This was all I ever wanted to do. Like it wasn't about necessarily being an actor. I wanted to be Phantom. But I was working my way up. And at this point, I'm learning and learning my craft. And I didn't want to ever be caught out as a fraud. I'm not the best singer. I'm not the best this or that. I'm just, I'm me. And this is the story and the interpretation I'm going to do. And I always will die on my own sword. I don't really care what people think. I'd rather just do what I do. If I fail, fine. But that's on my call. I remember the first time 
I was about to go on. I'm sitting in a makeup chair and I'm watching Tanya put on the prosthetics and I couldn't stop laughing the whole time. Like, this is ridiculous. And I kept thinking, now what? What's the dream? What are you going to do? Yeah, it's like almost a little bit like, okay, I said I really wanted to do this and I barked up that tree and now I get to do it and here's this opportunity and curtains about to come up. This is my moment to go and do it. And obviously you had so much success doing that. What was it like afterwards to so early in your career achieve the goal that you had set for yourself? Was it sort of like a now what? Or did you sort of have a bit of a freedom in that, that you have already achieved the thing that you wanted to do? No, because again, like, I feel, like I said, as green now as I did then because it's sort of well, you want to keep expanding as an actor. You don't want – I never wanted to think, now I've made it. Look at me. You know, because sure. what are you going to learn from there? I was still – like the way I would play Phantom now, what is it, just under 20 years later, it would be a whole new fresh take. I'd see what I would do with it. Should we run it back? Let's run it back. I don't know. They've never asked me <laughs> since, so who knows? <laughs> Ever since the DVD version we did at the 25th anniversary, that was the last bow was the film I ever took. It can't get better than that at the Royal Albert Hall. Like I remember looking around, seeing people in the ensemble there, all of us celebrating this wonderful show. But I'm like, I've been a fan of all these people. Some of these actors I still look up to and I'm learning from today. And I'm like, this is crazy that I'm the guy in the mask. It's so cool. Like that just gives me like goosebumps to imagine you getting the envelope, getting the makeup on the prosthetics and like stepping out and doing it. And like, what a big life check mark. Holy crap. Um, what, what does it feel different performing in London? I feel like the vibe and I'm like such an outsider on this, so I could be totally wrong, but I feel like theater in the UK especially is like very prestigious. Does it feel different when you're there performing? as opposed to being on Broadway? I feel like it's a little more commercial here. Commercial in the sense of like how the business runs, because there's so much, there's much more like theaters. And there, there's an element of like the plays and they still love musicals there. But it is, a, it's just a smaller community. Um, I love the work over there. I love the actors over there and I love the training that comes out from over there. Says the guy who's never trained in his life, but I'm learning from my peers, you know, all these years. I don't want to even say there's something a bit more humble out there, but here it's like the bright lights and you look at Times Square and all this theater being promoted and whatnot. Over there, it's a bit more underplayed. There's like a difference to like, I know in Canada, certainly there's like that star meter is like not a thing. It's not the same way that it is in the United States in terms of like recognition and all the different opportunities. Like it definitely has... I don't know what the word is to like properly describe it, but it just, yeah, it definitely has like a different feel to it, I would say, says the person that's also not ever been in your shoes. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them. Give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there and you can see us talking, having this interview, having a hangout. It's all up on there. Um, And that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on 
the YouTube as well so we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know. Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, we like filtering through them all, reading about them. Maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions. Thank you.